Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly, and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So I'm very excited about the founder that we have today. You know, it's been quite of a journey, you know, that he's had, you know, with his business and quite a rocket ship that he's building. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Tomer Tagren. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Super excited. So originally from Tel Aviv, so born and raised there in Tel Aviv. So how was life growing up there in Startup Nation? Wow. Israel and Tel Aviv are really, really fun places. Tel Aviv, by the way, is one of the best cities. If you like food, the beach, great people, a lot of innovation, by the way. So definitely a great uh, place to, to be born at. So you obviously divided your time a little bit between tennis and Boy Scouts. So, uh, so how was that like for you? Because I know that also in tennis, you had quite a, a lot of dedicated time. Yes, yes. Uh, Roger Federer is uh, my role model in life. And even till today, I use a lot of his phrases and videos in a company's presentations. But I think, you know, tennis is a very tough mentally game because you're alone. It's not like uh, all the, all the you know, blame and all the glory is on you. So as a kid growing up, you need to really face uh, a lot of challenges. And the Boy Scout was just like a, a, get a great place to hang out. Like really, really great people. Most of my friends are from there. And you were always a computer geek. So how did you come across computers? And because obviously that ended up developing into you pursuing your career in that department and getting your degree in computer science. But but how did you, you know, start it really playing with computers? Yeah, so actually like early 90s, my father brought a computer, fortunately, at home. I actually don't remember the version, but I found myself like playing with DOS a lot and understanding how it works. And like every time I used to like break the computer, he used to bring someone to fix it. Uh, and then it became, you know, all the ILC generation, if you want, and all of the early, early messaging worlds and early, early internet, like really early on, where I really liked to program and I really liked like to play games. So I think that combination of like gaming probably brought me first. And then I learned how to code uh, in various places. Although I'm not the best coder in the world, I can tell you that. Like, thank God I'm not writing code at Yotma. And and then for you going to the army, I mean, what would you say that the army, because obviously the army is a must there in Israel, but what would you say that the army has brought to you, to your life, and perhaps also to your 
professional career when it comes to discipline and maybe like even work ethic? Sure. So every time we meet investors, they are used for Israeli entrepreneurs that coming from like the intelligence force, like A200 it's called, or uh, yeah. and both me and Omrico, and he's the, like I told you, like the, the smarter half. And uh, the co-founder, both of us, like he was in infantry, I was in artillery. So actually not related to computers at all. But what the army gave us is, you know, the ability that we know that we can, we can put a target on the map and we'll get there. By hook and by cook, we'll get there no matter what. And our resilience and our ability to face challenges is definitely something that the army contributes a lot to. That's amazing. So obviously for you after the army, then you really went at it with computer science where you met your, your now co-founder. Uh, and then after that, you did a little bit of a stint there at Intel. So you were able to experience what, you know, essentially was working, you know, life, you know, type of environment. But that was a nice segue into you really coming across Yotpo and bringing Yotpo to life. So, so what was that process like and what were the sequence of events towards really bringing Yotpo into, into, into really, you know, launch and, 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 and life? Yeah, so I think that the, the most important is like me and Omri really like hit it off together, meaning we, we built stuff together. Thank God both of us were like programmers so we can build things together. And then from a very bad personal shopping experience that was based on fake reviews, basically we said, okay, let's fix authenticity with like reviews. So our first idea was like, let's open like a search engine for reviews and we ranked it and yada, yada, yada. The problem was again, the authenticity, who wrote it? Like if it was from people called Tome123 that I don't know anything about them, why should I listen to them? So we understood that in order to solve that, we need to generate the content ourselves. And then we actually pivoted from, let's say, B2C to B2B. And because we were programmers and we didn't know how to, you know, what's marketing, sales, we didn't know anything. <clears throat> we basically looked at like e-commerce platform. And then we found like, there were a few platforms then like BigCommerce and Shopify and WooCommerce, but definitely Shopify had like the best APIs. So we developed on top of our APIs, started to get stores using our simple uh, widget and Luckily for us, it was like a great timing, like let's say 2012, 2013, to get into e-commerce <clears throat> retrospectively. We've been really working hard since then to really, you know, when I look today and what Yotpo brings to our customers, to really help them win over consumers. Like, I think that's what we started. So the first step is how do you establish trust between brand and consumer? And then we expanded uh, to other products and basically expanded our vision as a company. Because for you guys, what was it like reaching product market fit? Wow, a really interesting question, you know, because we in the beginning, we reached product market fit with our reviews product in the SMB space. So think about it. We got to, let's say, probably five, six, seven million dollars of ARR pretty nicely. We're growing, raised a bunch of money. So we found that product market fit. But really quickly, it turned out that we cannot scale more than that or not a lot more than that because like TAM is not big enough. A competition was starting to eat us from below because like a lot of companies were developing like 50% of the product for let's say 20% of the price. And then we understood we, we need to expand our vision. And then we went and bought companies, developed more product. And I think we actually now, once we passed the $100 million ARR, I would argue that we found again our product market fit as, a, as an e-commerce marketing platform versus like, a, you know, a, a point solution. So for the people that are listening to really get it, what is the business model of Yotpo today? I mean, how do you guys make money? 
Yeah, so definitely. So Yetpo is a SaaS platform. We take a, or an annual or a monthly subscription for e-commerce brands. And we have five different products in the market. Each one of them is sold like separately or together. So you can pay us anywhere from like $9.99 a month up to like six figures deals. Really depends on your scale and what we do. And like we power the, we have like 32,000 paying customers and another like 300,000 entrepreneurs using our platform for free. And we charge, we also have like an SMS product where it's also like we pay per usage as well. But plain SaaS, like the, let's say, vast majority is just like regular annual or monthly subscriptions. So obviously, you know, now you guys have product market fit. You've raised a bunch of money. Uh, but uh, as you say, you know, it takes a lot of luck and hard work in order to get there. So how would you define and how, how do those two look like combined and how would you say that they were, you know, really in place, you know, for you and your journey to really help you in getting to where you are today? Sure. So from a few different fronts, it's not like when we started, we knew, you know, how big e-commerce would be, or we knew that we even going after e-commerce. So we were extremely lucky um, to basically position ourselves like for success in e-commerce, but what extreme luck. Extreme, extreme luck. We also had some really key hires that we did without even understanding it. So people that joined us that today have like huge impact on the business that hindsight, we didn't know like what we're doing pretty much, if I'll be like completely honest. And I think uh, maybe the recent example is COVID, right? If there's such a thing as a beneficiary of COVID, e-commerce is a beneficiary of COVID and therefore Yotpo. But, you know, we in a very same way, we could have been on the, not on the e-commerce side of the coin, right? And so I think this is like everyday luck, I think is probably like the biggest factor uh, to any business success. I do think we, we really work hard and we didn't give up, gave up even when, you know, when we were like a point solution with not great unit economics and we raised a lot of money and we needed like, it was very stressful times. We kept on working very hard to expand our vision. We did the necessary changes. We took the hits, like there were multiple things happening. Yotpo, I think, is a company that like hard work is very much in our uh, nature, but uh, extreme luck, extreme luck. Like I think luck meets us. Uh, we did like an M&A that's been uh, like, I think three years ago that uh, one of the co-founders there, Josh, has been like a huge force forward for Yotpo and we would never gotten here without him. Uh, our investor, that the, there was like a bunch of examples I can give. And in general, I think in life, and I hope COVID, I think COVID was definitely like a teacher to that. We need to be very humble. We need to be very thankful. We need to be very authentic and like, what what are we good at and what we're not good at and what we just got lucky at. Yeah, I always like the word ambition, which is combining humbleness with ambition. So uh, I'm right there with you. So Tomer, how much capital have you guys raised to date for the company? Yeah, so we raised uh, close to $400 million. Got it. I mean, that's a lot of zeros right there. Yes. So, so yes, how that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, and obviously, you know, with a lot of money comes a lot of expectations. So, I guess in this case for you guys, how has it been the journey of raising money and going from one financing cycle to another one? Because I know that also pitching Bessemer was not easy and you were turned down quite a few times. Yes. Yes. So, I think in general, and yes, Bessemer, by the way, is our largest investor and Adam, the leading partner, which today is like, I truly consider him as a friend, like every year told us no for a very good reason. But in general, I think fundraising is a nightmare. Every entrepreneur that tells me that he likes, uh, he or she likes uh, raising money, I always think that they're like full of bullshit. 
<laughs> Sorry for that, but uh, okay. I think like you know, raising money is is like a night. It's it's like so much uncertainty, and people are picking holes in what you do, and rightfully. So uh, I think for us, we didn't love it, but I think overall we were quite good at it uh, in terms of like understood like what it takes for us to get to the next milestone and why and what we need. And so, and I think that's also part of our mentality. Like we see a challenge. Okay, we get there. What did we learn? What's next type of mentality? That's uh, really important. And and to be honest, I always thought that like after $100 million in ARR, things will look different, but it's actually not that different. I think like, uh, you know, you get like bigger ambitious. There are still like a lot of challenges, different challenges, but challenges of scale are, are really, really big challenges. And I think now moving from, you know, we're not from zero to one anymore. We're from one to N. I think uh, we are learning to love those sets of problems. But, you know, entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship every day. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So I guess uh, in terms of size, I mean, how many how many employees do you guys have now? Yeah, so we have 550 people. And we are growing really quickly. So I think this year we're going to finish hopefully more than 700, 750 people. And if any great people that are into e-commerce that are hearing this, like feel free to check us out because... We are really building something special. And, you know, we have 32,000 customers from like the biggest brands in the world, like 1-800-Flowers and P&G and IKEA to literally 300,000 entrepreneurs using the platform for free. And so the scale, everything became big. And I know that when it comes, you know, to to getting big, you know, it's important to hire also great people. And I know that in your guys' case, you took a... What an interesting approach when it came to hiring engineers. So what happened there? In general, we believe that the best products win. And we want to keep on investing in over-engineering because that's our way to bet on the future. And engineering, even till today, it's like, how do you scale that in an extremely competitive environment? It's one of the questions we we spend a lot of time and energy on. One of our solutions, it's not the only one, was, okay, let's open more centers for, for like a different type of population. So we have like an orthodox women's center in Israel, uh, targeting like a different population. We also have like in the north of Israel, another location that's like for a population that's a little bit in a different place in their lives and are not like the pure Tel Aviv after uh, the army type of people we have. And now we have in Sofia, Bulgaria, like 50 people and growing. We're going to open another engineering center. And I think it really created like on one hand, a very diverse type of uh, environment. And on the other hand, really like big muscles for scale. And so I think that's like one of the things to optimize that we're talking about is how do we build like for longer term, now that we get the opportunity to think longer term, how do we really ensure that like 2024 for Yotpo is a great year, that we have like the, the platform, the product suite that we want to have. So talking about a great year and, and where things are heading, uh, if you were to go to sleep tonight, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Yotpo is fully realized, and you are waking up maybe in five, six, whatever years, you know, later that is. What does that world look like? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll quote here Shopify to say that, you know, if Amazon build an empire, we are arming the rebels. And we are really arming the rebels, meaning it's a world where, you know, any e-commerce brand doesn't mean if it's, you know, me and you opening a t-shirt company or up to PNG, like, it's easy to create like a great consumer experience. Like brands win because of like their community, because how they engage with consumers and we want to make it easy for them. 
So e-commerce as a whole, I mean, obviously it has been a, a booming year for e-commerce. Uh, COVID, I mean, has, uh, I mean, many, many people that I speak with that are uh, directly related or indirectly related with e-commerce, I mean, they have seen their vision of five, seven, or even 10 years realized in one single year alone. Everything has yeah. been accelerating. So so how do you think, you know, like, where, where do you think e-commerce is going uh, now that we're going to start to enter the new normal? Sure. So uh, from a few fronts, I'll touch on it first just like some public data that it's not slowing down anytime soon. So highly recommend to look at what SARS did in China as a proxy to what COVID is doing to the Western world in terms of e-com penetration. And it's definitely like early days there in e-com penetration. I think we have a very long way to go. When you look at the public stocks, Shopify, e-commerce, globally, Affirm, it doesn't look like it's stopping or relaxing. I actually think like the next 24 months are going to be extremely strong for e-com. I can tell you we are finishing probably our strongest quarter ever. And when we look at the data, a few really interesting things are happening. One is that a new demographic entered e-com, meaning older population are now online buyers. My mother is buying online. And I don't think that's going to change. That's like after the point of no return. And I think for any new entrepreneur, but also for older companies, like online is not like a nice to have anymore. Like you need to have a great online experience if you want to survive this world. So I think we see a lot of budgets now are moving into e-commerce because they understood the necessity of it. A hundred percent. I mean, experience is everything. I mean, look at now, for example, for all these people that are pushing SEO, the core web vitals and how, you know, the experience of your website, you know, is going to impact how you're ranked. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable. But one thing that, you know, that I like to touch, you know, on is, you know, going back to the way that you guys have thought about uh, arranging and building up your team and building up the exposure, you know, what's an event that happened in, in Utah, you know, that was quite a, a lesson learned for you guys, you know, when it comes to growth and expansion. So what happened there and what was the key lesson to be learned? Yeah, so I think what we did there in Utah, it was like probably four years ago, uh, we wanted to expand beyond New York, which is our largest center in the U.S. because of hiring. And then we, we found Utah, we, and we found some really great people that we hired. And then we learned that in order to be really great in Yotpo's go-to-market, the seller, the CSM, needs to be like a, con a savvy consumer. Meaning because you're talking to, you know, the, the Allbirds, the Glossiers of the world, like they expect to meet like savvier consumers. And in Utah, we discovered that at least the team we hired was like less online consumers. Uh, and we pivoted strategy to a different place. So... After we hired a few people and opened an office, then really quickly we shut down the office. Until today, it's one of the most important lessons that we talk about. And uh, on, on one hand, like we want the mentality of doing things and not being afraid of making mistakes. And on the other thing is about how to be very thoughtful and strategic about like where we put our energy as a company, because it touches people's life. It touches like our the opportunity cost in Yotpo is so big that we didn't spend the energy someplace else. And I think as an entrepreneur, you know, there's the Steve Jobs uh, famous sentence, which is a little bit cynical, but uh, like you can get the gist of saying that if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a tough reality eventually. Like the, the, there are like so, so many amazing things about like a job of an entrepreneur. Really, like you get from like an idea to inception to scale. I, I don't think there's uh, something bigger in life 
and besides family than that, but like you do need to get to do hard decisions and you need to, to wear the, the company's hat and not even your own personal, uh, you know, from relationship to people to what, I don't know, even your character. And I think the best entrepreneurs know how to put uh, the company in the first place. And, and I guess as, as we're talking about people and, 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 you know, really it comes to culture. So how have you guys thought about culture in, in Jotpo? We have a saying uh, that uh, despite our unicorn valuation, we build a flamingo, meaning a, a real animal and a real business to provide real value to customers uh, long term, uh, but a very unique culture. And I think culture, first and foremost, it's, is the people you hire and how you make decisions. And for us, it means three main buckets. One, winning is a team sport. So that means we really like to win, but we like teams even more. Second is a go big or go home mentality. People that are not afraid of making mistakes, people with like growth mindset that's pushing the boundaries, operational excellence, those types of things. And the last bucket is be a force for good. People that always think about the company's benefit and the customer benefit before their own personal benefit. So what do you look for people when you are recruiting? I mean, obviously, I'm sure that, uh, and, and at the beginning, you know, you were probably very much involved in, in onboarding individuals. So, so I mean, typically when you are, uh, I mean, uh, now I'm sure that you have your teams that are helping in ramping up, you know, the onboarding of people. But, but when it comes to people, I mean, how, I mean, obviously you have these different buckets, but is there like a specific question that you typically ask or a specific thing that you're looking for in the answers that they give you during interviews? No, I really try, you know, to get to a conversation when I can understand the inputs and meaning like what drives a person, right? What what gets them going? What's the inputs that why they came from these inputs to the conclusion they got and why they chose to left to 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 do something. So I try to go deep on a few things. It really doesn't matter to get to understanding of the person. If the person is a great cultural fit for Yotpo and Yotpo is a great cultural fit for the person. So I think it goes both ways. Uh, you know, people that are transparent, sense of humor, combination of customer centricity and data orientation, and like those types, like empathy, authenticity, are things that are like really, really important at Yotpo, regardless of what you do. And I think you, for me at least, it's about like really understanding the person and getting to know them. Got it. And the last question that I wanted to ask you here is the one that I always ask the guests that come on the show, and that is, Imagine if I put you into a time machine and I'm bringing you back to 2011, you know, that moment where Yotpo was brought to life and you have the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self and most importantly, having the opportunity of giving yourself one piece of business advice that you will be able to give to your younger self before launching Yotpo. What would you tell your younger self and why based on what you know now? It's a great question. I think in general, I already know hopefully that I'll work in Yotpo in the next 10 years. When we started nine, 10 years ago, I didn't know that. And to really have like a, a mindset at, of like optimizing for really long-term because eventually that's what's important. Like, and yes, you need to show short-term progress, but what's important is to position yourself to a place where if luck comes, you are like a wee, huge winner of that. And I think like more tactically taking it down the notch is probably like TAM is more, is more important than anything else. Like making sure you're going after a big opportunity that's getting bigger. That will probably determine the success of the business more than anything else. I love it. 
So, uh, Tomer, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, so, again, like Twitter, LinkedIn, um, I think the company's website, uh, again, our jobs page, uh, would love uh, for people, for great people to visit there. But I think for me personally, LinkedIn, Twitter, like uh, would love uh, to hear. And if you're into e-commerce and doing like cool things, like we are very much uh, the place of everything related to e-commerce. Amazing. Well, Tomer, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.